0: Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Mr. Eric Christensen. Uh, Mr. Christensen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Ah, My name is Eric Christensen, and it's definitely an honor to be here. I appreciate it. And, uh, I'm a documentary filmmaker and we'll probably get into this a little bit. I, (laughs) I don't necessarily like to be called a filmmaker. I'm more of a messenger and a healer, I guess, in my own way. My films, uh, have a very strong basis in the hope and not just, uh, they're about trauma recovery. So it's not just about the trauma. It's about the hope and recovery afterwards. And, um, I started on this path many years ago after surviving my own personal disaster and made my first film that started the whole ball rolling. And now I'm on my fourth film, and um, and I'm very excited. We have a release date coming up on uh, 9-11-2021, so we're really close.
0: Um, definitely want to jump into that and, and to dive into that a little bit, but um, why don't we kind of dial back a little bit and, and get a little bit into... you are and where you're from
1: oh man well i'm from california born and bred and uh i grew up surfing since i was about eight years old so i've always been near the coast and uh ever since second grade basically i've been making films and uh making using uh actually regular eight even before super eight film came out (laughs) and uh so that kind of dates me and um you know, my first film I did with a script was around nine years old, and it's been the only thing I want to do since then, and uh, I remember being a little tyke and just recalling that I felt that I had some sort of message that I needed to deliver, and it it took a long time and a journey for me to actually discover what that message was, but but now I'm on that calling, and it was very clear.
0: So nine years old, and you, you, did you write the script, or is it with a couple of friends how'd that kind of come about
1: you know it's pretty funny it it, it was it was a safety film <laughs> for our elementary school and yeah <laughs> i wrote the script and, and everything and then uh then it went every year I, I made a couple different uh films you know i had my own super eight filmmaking setup including my little flatbed i guess you would say it actually was upright and <laughs> uh, i do all my editing and i learned from there and uh it just progressed.
0: So you've, uh, I guess you've kind of seen the transition and the growth of technology and and advancements in produ- uh, producing movies and films and things.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, and it, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I, I'm so thankful though that I was in an era where I actually got to handle film. And the epitome in my career of working with film was I did a fifteen perf 70 millimeter IMAX film and it doesn't get much more physical and big than that. Yeah. When the the it's about the each frame is about three by three. And about two minutes of film weighs eleven pounds. <laughs>
0: what was that film about?
1: That was called uh Seven Greatest Places. It was the seven greatest places on Earth based on geographical diversity. And it's it's before IMAX evolved, I guess, into, into other things. IMAX used to be, and it still is, very much a destination film where you would show very exotic things or you would show, like, at the Grand Canyon, there'd be a IMAX film about the Grand Canyon. But, uh, yeah, this film was about seven different geographically diverse locations, and I was a post-supervisor and editor, and, and that was really, really, really fun.
0: That, that sounds good. I have, I have to say that's kind of what I when I think of IMAX up until you know, the last 10 years or so, to me, IMAX is going to, you know, um, science, uh, like Liberty Science Center here in New Jersey, or you know, uh, science museums type places that have these films to kind of just kind of lay out different, like you said, exotic areas of, uh, of the country and the world. Um, you're not just a documentary producer director you also have done commercials correct
1: oh yeah i've done <laughs> i've done dozens and dozens of commercials and you know in in hollywood and Cal- uh, well in hollywood in particular in the in the commercial world you get typecast and uh, my breakthrough commercials were involving toothpaste and i became the toothpaste guy all through the late 90s into the early 2000s and um I did dozens and dozens of toothpaste commercials, <laughs> and it was fun, and, you know, it, it was just big, huge crews, you know, setting down, you know, uh, downtown L.A. for a shot and doing the whole thing, and and then, you know, then it's funny, because I flash back on what I do now, and my crews are very sparse for a reason, and, uh, and sometimes it's just me and, you know, a sound person, another person, and I'm like, wow, that's very different than having 50
0: people on the set <laughs> people, and having the PAs for your beck and call to, you know, get wrangle up the extras and, I've, and the cappuccinos. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I've, um, I've been on set for a number of things. I've in New York, I do some background acting and literally it's the blink and you'll miss me kind of thing. So it's, it's nothing to, that I really rave about, but you know, I like seeing the behind the scenes things. i I've, I kind of interact with the PAs and, and whoever I can behind the scenes, um, I've actually produced a few things with a friend of mine, um, and we've oh, been lucky enough to win a, a few awards. Um, awesome. So that, that was one of the re- reasons why I wanted to bring you on, because I, I wanted to kind of talk and, and get your perspective and, and you know, see how you've done things, um, because that's something that I'm trying to pursue a, a little a little more aggressively, I guess. Um, oh,
1: definitely. And I love Talk about the nuts and bolts and all sorts of things, and, and from a kind of—I don't want to say jaded LA point of view, but—but <laughs> <yeah. laughs> but then you got New York right there, and you know, New York is New York has a diff, very different flavor of filmmaking and their community, but they have a very vital filmmaking community and a great documentary filmmaking community out there. So,
0: yeah, that I've I've seen that, and there's some people that I've kind of crossed paths with that, um, you know, because. For a lot of people who do background work, they're trying to a, break big into acting or they're doing what I'm doing and they do it to get the behind the scene experience and to really see what goes into making a production, a, a, a good, viable production. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's interesting that you've had the experience to kind of go from, you know, literally real to real type film film to what we record on now, which is all everything's digitized.
1: Yeah, um. and you know, I, I gotta I gotta throw this out there—not to drop names or, but you know, a, a good friend of mine was a major actor in a lot of films, including Top Gun. So I was able to visit a lot of very high-end sets, and and you know, I got to work—not work, work with—but I got to meet with Tony Scott and get to be very close with the whole crews on a lot of major motion pictures, and and have that kind of experience too. But you know, I was never really drawn to the narrative film thing until now, which I have a script that I'm trying to shop. <laughs> but um, <laughs> good time to good time to get that done with the COVID and everything. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know.
1: So yeah, but uh, you know, I went from the commercials, and then um, into into you know consistently making documentary filmmakers uh, films, and then uh, following my calling is what it is.
0: So, you were. You've also won awards for producing and um, editing, I believe. Can, for for people that don't understand or or know what the difference is, can you define what the different type of producers are between like associate producers, executive producers, and just simple producers?
1: You know, it's funny. When you see the executive producer credit, that's usually somebody that found the guy that has the money. (laughs) <laughs> you know and he could be hands on he could be but most likely he's a guy that like said hey I know this guy I can introduce you to him if I can get a credit so um that's that's what that is a, a real producer though is somebody that really oversees the whole production and puts all the most talented people in the different departments and you know and deals with the money and puts the whole thing together the, you know they're there's very talented producers. One of the producers um, that I work with is Paulette Lifton, and she's in the Producers Guild of uh, of America, and um, she's, she's uh, very talented in putting together things like that. And uh, then, you know, the associate producer is, um, it, it could be anything. <laughs> Again, it's like, you know, it's it could have been somebody that, Put some funding into the film, and you're like, oh, here's your associate producer credit, or but but then you get into the more what I call below the line, you know they have above the line, which is like directors and producers and things, but below the line producers like line producers. A line producer is very important. They're on the, they're right there on the set. They're making things happen. They're making things sure things show up. They're on the line, and uh, it's and they're like they're working they They work very, very hard and they then, work for um, money, <laughs> and then there's you know then there's all sorts of various um, incarnations of producers, but depending on what film you're working on and what you're doing, a lot of the, the associate producer you know is a is you know uh, a credit that you can kind of throw off to somebody if they have if they want to fund your independent <laughs> film
0: <laughs> so since regard speaking about credits themselves. And this is a conversation I've had with my friend who I've done some productions with. Do you prefer front-loading credits or the end roll credits, or do you think it depends on the on the the product? I
1: guess it, it depends on the product, but overall, with doc, you know, with my documentary films, it's always at the end. You know, and and I always thought it was pretentious to put my film at the very be- my <laughs> name at the very beginning, but my producers that I work with said, you know what, you have a little bit of equity in your name now after all these films and people kind of know who you are, especially in the public television world and in the, this small, the kind of strange niche of, uh, you know, trauma. Right. And and recovery. So now I put my, I I put my name at the beginning and obviously the title, but everything else at the end. And, you know, there's also rules too with uh, public television who I, distribute with quite often about producer's credits and things like that at the head and tails.
0: Got it. So to kind of move forward into why you make the documentaries you make, trauma kind of covers a lot of things, um, whether it be emotional or or physical and and, the source of that trauma is obviously varying for everybody. Um, What was your, if you don't mind me asking, what was your driving factor, the, the, I guess your, your traumatic incident to kind of put you on this path?
1: You know, I, I kind of divide that into two different answers right there, because you hit on something very important. I use trauma a lot now, the word, because it is kind of, I hate to say it, it's a little bit of a buzzword right now, yeah. but my films really are about grief recovery, which is the next level past the trauma. And, you know, my first film, which actually segues into your question, Um, My first film, Faces in the Fire, which I made after losing my home in the Painted Cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara, California, 31 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, uh, that's when I produced my first personal documentary. Actually, Doug Draper was the producer, and I directed and and shot the whole thing. And it was about surviving and the recovery after a natural disaster or a big disaster, and it was a fire disaster in Santa Barbara, and that was uh, Faces in the Fire, and uh, that really, uh, and, and and I call that film a grief recovery film because it really is, you know, you're recovering on that in that kind of situation if you're not injured and whatever, you're recovering from the grief of the loss. You're not necessarily recovering from a physical wound or anything that really affected you that way right then um you know faces the fire then opened up the door to me for me um and i was still doing toothpaste commercials it (laughs) opened up the door to me uh to all these uh productions that i did for public television and pbs and and the imax film and a lot of things like that opened up the door and then I just kept coming around to my own personal films. And my next personal film, it was almost eight years after Faces in the Fire, was Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey. And that was the second in all my films.
0: That's uh, so um, just kept going. Sorry. Um, with with the, the Vietnam Vets Journey, I can only imagine how diverse the people you spoke to were. And for them, it's, I'm sure it was. There's multiple magnitudes of, of trauma that they endured, whether it was physical, emotional, mental. How how hard was it for you at times to to talk to those people and see them expressing the the pain that they went through?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And over these last 30 years of working with trauma survivors, I've learned how to process that. And at, at first, it was very difficult. And it's also especially difficult when you get to know the subjects very well. And with um, Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey, I already knew the main subject, um, Bob Trimble, extremely well. You know, and he, I, I met him at a men's group, and, and he was the, actually the impetus for me starting to do more films, uh, you know, along the way of Trauma. And he really uh, opened up the door for me to go along with them on this motorcycle run because the film's about a motorcycle run from California to the wall in Washington, D.C. 300 uh, Vietnam vets and their um, supporters. And it's, it's more of a pilgrimage, not a motorcycle run. Right. Uh, that really opened up the door right there. And so seeing him having to walk through these different situations was very difficult so I was quite often kind of like well do I put the camera down and go support Bob or do I continue to be this not it's not even a fly on a wall that I tried to be you know documenting this whole event of of his healing and the breakdowns and and the whole thing and but you know that was the beginning of really a huge um Learning curve for me in working with trauma survivors, and since then I've learned so much to the point now that um, you know I, I feel a lot more comfortable in working with the trauma survivors for my film Unmasking Home.
0: Being that that close to the subject matter, I can't imagine how hard that would be to to tiptoe when to put the camera down and and when to like you said keep rolling to, to capture the the authenticity of, of and the raw emotion of what's going on. Is that what led you to the the next one of um coming back home from war with the that Vietnam that's it well or as well or is that more of um Desert Storm Veterans?
1: Oh oh the next the next film after Homecoming? Yeah. Yeah, the next film after Homecoming again was like almost eight years or more was Searching for Home, Coming Back from War. And uh what happened is one of the veterans that was in homecoming, and homecoming, when we did homecoming, it was just the start of the Middle East conflicts, which is really dating me again, too, <laughs> you know, a desert storm and the whole thing, and so about eight years later, you know, we were well into it, and we had a lot of guys coming home from Afghanistan and Iraq, and and uh, J.R. Franklin, that was in my film Homecoming of Vietnam Vet's Journey. A Vietnam vet said, "You know, they, a lot of these guys are coming home now, and they they need something again like Homecoming, because it, it's needed." And um, that's when I uh, reached out to Dr. Jeremy Crosby out of uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and he was working at the Bob Dole VA Center, and he was he's a very very talented clinician with PTSD uh, survivors, and. Um, and that's when we started working on and putting together searching for home, coming back from war which expanded to not just be about the guys that are coming home now that I expanded kind of my uh, what I would call my uh, uh, my theory or whatever it is. It's more of a my, my idea of diversity and trauma so what we included, all the way up to World War II veterans, you know, a tail gunner from World War II to Korean veterans to Vietnam vets. And then the guys coming home now, we included females. And my kind of uh, uh, thought was, and my hope was that the aggregate of all their experiences would, you know, end up telling one story. Got it. And uh, I, I remember when I was editing away and putting things together and and we have this we have this Vietnam uh, we have this uh, Korean veteran, Salt of the Earth guy, Purple Heart Marine, and then we have this woman that returned home from Iraq with military sexual trauma, and I'm like, how are they ever gonna really mash? You know, and I remember seeing the first screening of the film once we got the rough cut together and knowing that man, even though their experiences were extremely different, they're on the same basic healing path because we all heal in the same similar way. And that that became uh, a big part of my work then, this whole aggregate and this whole idea that we all heal the same, and then that's where Unmasking Hope was born.
0: It's like stitching together a, a, a giant quilt with each patch being represented by a different person. Takes, yep. uh, it takes an artist to, to kind of craft those together to get that nice big picture you're going for.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm sitting in my edit suite right now while we're talking, and I'm prepping the edit. You know, for the next five months, we're going to be editing Unmasking Hope, And we have some very diverse stories. And um, I organize and I prep the heck out of it. And uh, I have a whole system that I've developed over this time but I'm looking at the diversity of the stories and what you just said, that quilt work. I'm just I'm just like, okay, okay, God, I hope this works. I hope this all falls together like my other films did, you know? And it, it takes it takes some intestinal fortitude at a certain point just to move forward and say, you know what, all this is going to fit together and it's going to be the same experience I had. Was searching for home when we had that screening, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it all fits. Right. Yeah. So it's uh, going on in that intuition right now.
0: So since, since you brought it up un- unmasking hope, that's more of a uh, related, or is that encompassing nine one, one survivors, that's first responders. And
1: Oh my gosh, it, that's what it is. It, it's, it's expanding my, gosh, I, I just can't remember the exact word for it. It's like, um, a graduate student writes his thesis. So my thesis is that we all heal the same, basically. And so it's the expansion of that thesis um, into having extremely diverse traumas, and not just veterans. So we have a veteran, but we have 9-11 survivors. We have mass shooting survivors. We have sexual abuse survivors. We have first responders. And... um, and here I am putting it all together and it is, it, it is going to work. And it's amazing because we do have the same healing response. Some people, but we have different speeds and different ways to get there.
0: Right. I, I kind of fall into one of those categories as, as a first responder. Um, anybody that's listened to the the show knows I've mentioned a number of times that I've, I've been in EMS since I was 15. So I've I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of trauma. I've I've been through a lot of trauma. Um, so I, I definitely want to see this and, and see the people that are the first responders in this and, and how they've recovered. Uh, I, I've kind of grown in a way that I don't ignore what I've seen, but my way of uh, I guess compartmentalizing it to allow me to to kind of keep going forward and and to always look at the bright side of things. Um, that's, I guess, how I've processed the stuff that I've been through. Um, your own personal traumas and things have kind of cra- crafted and kind of started you on this path that you're on. Where, I guess, where do you want to go to next after you're done with this project that you're, you're working on now?
1: Where do I want to go? I want to go surfing. <laughs> really do that's the truth you know honestly I, i've been talking it just keeps coming up it's like what are you going to do next after i'm asking you hope it's like you know it's a weird feeling like putting a date on it because i love being in process you know i went to while i got my hat on i went to california institute of the arts in um in the 80s you know with you know a lot of people from pixar andrew stanton and pete doctor and a lot of great people a lot of great artists and um you know, a lot of great fine artists, John Baldessari, and and, and anyways, I learned that process was everything, being in the process. It's not necessarily the product. The product is important, but being in the process. So how this fits into like, what am I doing next? I'm just really enjoying being in the process again, and then, but having this date of this delivery in June, Mm -hmm. in the end of June, is like, kind of like, Oh, my gosh, and honestly, I don't have anything else planned because um, this film was intended just to be a quick little ditty, you know? Okay, I'm done. I worked for eight years on freaking Searching for Home, Coming Back for More, and it, it was like, okay, that's enough, and I want to do a film, finish it in a year. Well, Unmasking Hope didn't do that. It's going <laughs> to be three years. And so in and, and, and the fundraising, the it still is very taxing, you know, traveling around and working with all these people, even though it is my calling. So, honestly, I don't know what my next move is. I have this feature film based on, it's actually based on my documentary, Homecoming of Vietnam West Journey. And we'll see, you know. Um, I think right now, um, you know, my, my other work you know, I've worked, my wife and I have our business and stuff like that. And we, we enjoy being at the beach seriously, you know, and, um, I don't know. And my wife laughs when, when I tell her, I go, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Maybe I won't have another film in me. And she just laughs. Maybe it'll I be on surfing. surfing. So, <laughs> yeah. Which would be very cool. And I got to say, there is a film about recovery and surfing called shelter by, um, these guys called the Malloy brothers. And, uh, it's, it, you can find it on YouTube and it it's absolutely familiar about the core of what the surfing experience is. Cause to me, surfing is very spiritual and so is my paddle boarding now, which I've taken up. But anyways, that's a whole nother subject.
0: <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've heard that. I mean, it's, it's, up next?
1: I don't know. I don't know what's coming up next. I want to finish this.
0: I, I've heard that surfing I've, is very, uh, spiritual and, na- uh, one with nature kind of thing, you know, feeling, feeling yourself with the waves and the water and everything. So I, I can definitely see how that's uh, therapeutic. Um, you mentioned yeah. your wife. Is she part of your production company or is she, you guys do something else together?
1: Uh, she's, she's amazing in real estate and she's one of the top people out here in Southern California in real estate. And so um, I actually, uh, I actually run the marketing and business side of that. And uh, with our agents, and then, which is really fun, I get to take pictures of homes, and we did, we just did an $8.5 million home in Montecito, and it was great to take wow. pictures of, because I, I learned so much, and then it trains my eye for color, so now when I come back in, and I'm doing my documentary work, I, you normally have a colorist, but I'm like, you know what, I've colored so many photographs of homes, and I've literally hundreds and I'm like, man, I think I'm going to take a crack at the coloring on this one, you know, because I want to give it, I want to give it, it's a very lyrical film compared to my other films, Unmasking I'm, I'm Hope. And, and you know, I've learned every position there is on the crew and the craft, because I I, I just, I, I don't want to have to communicate what I'm trying, what I'm seeing. I want to go do it. Right. You know, so... We talked about my awards. I have Emmys for editing. I have Emmys for cinematography, you know, and you know, and those are the two biggest crafts. The one thing I really do need is a is a really good sound mixer. And I have that in a guy named Gary Copeland. The guy rocks. Nice. He does a ton of features and things and he I can lay out all my sound and everything and he can read it. He knows. He yeah. knows the he knows the rhythm and what I'm doing and
0: he knows your voice. Concert.
1: Yeah. And my composer, Craig Dobbin, he's, he does NCIS Los Angeles, but, uh, he loves doing my work cause it's a total shift from, you know, action and machine guns and yeah. stuff like
0: <laughs> that. Yeah. We have, uh, a friend of ours moved out to California. He actually works for, uh, he's worked for a couple of big, uh, sound producers and sound designers. Um, and we use him and he's, he's done phenomenal work for our things. And granted, we're, Effectively, a no-budget production for what we do, but uh, it's nice to have a friend that can lend a hand and, and help us. Kind of, he knows what we're trying to go for, and, and he, he takes you know any thoughts that we have and puts it in. And when he gives this back to us, it's it just it fits perfectly. I mean, and, you, and that's <laughs> a,
1: yeah, that's the fun thing about working with really talented people is you. I mean, it, it's amazing. They bring so much to the table, is what I'm hearing you say.
0: Yeah. Well, you yourself yeah. bring a lot. I mean, you you've worn a lot of hats. I mean, editor, director, writer, producer, uh, cinematographer. So you you yourself just, know what it I is.
1: I just kind of box things up, and I'm like, okay, you guys take it and make it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like. Did you yeah.
0: spend a lot of time last year, um, because of the lockdowns, to, to that you were able to kind of really focus in and and go through all the stuff that you wanted to really refine, what you were looking for.
1: Um, on the film, yeah, yeah, you know, um, no, <laughs> I'm doing that now. Um, we actually ended up doing some production, you know, during this time, and we we're very careful, we got tested and stuff, but right. then this whole new surge came, and we're just so close to finishing the production, but you know, I, I did concentrate on, you know, uh. God has a way of taking care of me because I, I got to tell you that the documentary film world is not like a huge economic me- mechanism in our family. And, uh, yeah. and, and we knew this was coming up for me to like, kind of disappear in this edit suite that I'm in. And so the, you know, during this whole COVID time in the last couple of months, we've been able to build some really good things for our other business. And we've been really blessed that way. So we're, you know, I'm feeling fairly comfortable being able to jump right into this and, and take myself a little bit out of the other equation to get this done. Got it.
0: Kind of throw a a little bit of a curveball. Who are some of your favorite writers, whether we're talking about script writers or or authors, who do you kind of digest the most?
1: Well, I got to tell you, I love John Millius and he's an old old one. And uh, he did Dirty Harry. He did Apocalypse Now. And he did a beautiful, beautiful film, which is his ode to surfing called Big Wednesday. And he was, he is and he was, gosh, a maverick, literally. I mean, old school, you know, you kind of were worried about making sure that John got what he got. And uh, he's one of my favorites. But currently, right now, I just watched Tenet for the second time the other night, two nights ago it's the first not the well maybe it is the first film that i enjoyed more the second time than the first time because it's so intricate people that write ten it off and say well it's just a bunch of time travel and all this right it's it's really not christopher nolan plotted out in an amazing universe in that film and it it all does fit there's a little bit of stuff that you have to kind of stretch but oh my gosh, the second time, I'm like, oh, that's why, oh, I mean, it's it's pure filmmaking, it's just, it's great, so yeah, Christopher Nolan and John Milius are some of my favorites, you know, and then, um, then of course, you know, early Tim Burton, director, um, and he's a, he's a Cal Arts alumni, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so anyways, yeah, those he's- are some of my the-
0: He's got a a very altered vision (laughs) Um, and it puts out some phenomenal stuff. I mean, you go back to, like you were saying, his earlier stuff with Edward Scissorhands and uh, the more recent stuff with uh, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I mean, I can actually watch Alice over and over again and when I'm actually watching it, pick up something new that I didn't pick up last time. And I've seen the movie easily 50 times, but every time I watch it, you can kind of pick out something different. And now that I'm getting more into, involved in, in the writing process and, and looking at things from a behind-the-camera kind of perspective, I pick up more and more. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely one of the people that I've enjoyed his work.
1: It's really neat to look at his work back at CalArts, his sketches and Frank and, Weenie and a couple of things, early Frankenweenie, <laughs> nothing. But all that kind of work is very, it's still connected to what he's, I mean, he had such an amazing kind of style. He also had, what do you call it? Just the atmosphere of what he creates, you know? One thing I, I heard him in an interview talk about is he always loved Christmas coming when they still had Halloween in, In uh, you go to Woolworth, and they still had Halloween <laughs> up and then Christmas was coming. So he had that dichotomy, and you see it in his work, and hence Nightmare Before For Christmas. Christmas, yeah. But you got to remember, that was directed by Henry. That was actually directed by Henry Selleck, which was a a CalArts alumni. And he had a huge influence on the vision of that film, too. And a lot of it's kind of handed to Tim, like, oh, that's all Tim. Well, you know, Henry is extremely talented. If you look, he's the director of that film. And I hear he's doing another film now, too. uh, Stop motion, old school stop motion. Awesome.
0: Yeah, there's. Yeah. I like the fact that even with all the technology that we have now and and the CGI, some people want to go back, kind of go back to the the drawing board, so to speak, with uh, yeah. you know going back to stop motion and using some more less techy type of ways of getting things done.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, and it, the cool thing is, I I, uh, I sold one of my old cameras to a fellow. We call ourselves a Cal mafia and, and uh, he's part of the CalArts Mafia, and he builds rigs. He's a rig builder, and he builds rigs for stop motion, and he had all these amazing rigs, and he's worked with all the top stop motion guys, including Henry and all these other people, and uh, some of the pictures of the rigs that he has for the stop motion to get these things to work and everything is freaking amazing, and it's meticulous, crazy work. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, meticulous yeah. is an understatement for what stop motion is. Um, so where you said the movie is supposed to be premiere November, September eleventh, two thousand twenty one. Where will people be able to find us, or have you not gotten to that point yet?
1: No, we have a, we have a distribution system through public television. And uh, it just look for it. Look for it on your local public television station, and you know, uh, also keep an eye on you know uh, our website, Unmasking Hope the movie and uh, also on um, Instagram, Unmasking Hope hashtag Unmasking Hope, and we'll keep everybody um, you know uh, updated there. But yeah, it, it's it, it will be on public television for. We usually, I think we're going to do an initial run of three years, so, uh, and 9-11 will be a perfect time for it because it is very 9-11 centric. Right. But, um, it has a lot of other amazing, amazing individuals.
0: So it'll be debuting on the 20th anniversary.
1: Yeah. Is that crazy? When I realized that and I'm like, wow, there's no coincidences with these homes. So. There's a a word
0: for that. Uh, what is it? Serendipity. I think so. I think that's it. Um. So now that we've kind of gotten a lot of the more serious stuff out of the way, I like to kind of take the last few minutes of our conversation and and go a little crazy, for lack of a better term, um, and ask you just a handful of really random questions. So the first one is, if you could sing a duet with anyone, who would it be?
1: Do they have to be alive? No. Probably Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. He was amazing. I don't know if I could even sing, but like as far as like being around somebody that had soul, yeah. It, there, he has this very little-known album called Pacific Ocean Blue, and he was the drummer for the Beach Boys, but he died way too early. But yeah, that's 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 a good one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think if I had the capability of singing, and anybody who knows me knows that I cannot sing a note. Uh, I'd have <laughs> to say um, Amy Lee from Evanescence, just because I absolutely adore voice right. nice. so uh, let's see the next question would, be, uh, would you rather would you rather donate an organ to a friend or sell it to a stranger for a ton of money
1: you know of course we're going to go with altruistic thing but you know <laughs> when it comes down to it you know it's like uh, yeah I mean um, yeah I it don- to a friend but you know it's interesting because I got to say this real quick and it's an interesting side note. There's a bit in Tenet where he they they test the protagonist and the, the main character, uh, and if he's going to take the cyanide pill and take himself out of the picture, or if he's going to possibly let the secrets all out. And um, he passes his, the tests, and the guy that the guy that you know allows him into the into the organization goes, you know. It's interesting because you never really know. You Everybody thinks they're going to run into the fire, but you never really know until you feel the heat, right? Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm uh, altruistic. You'd want to say you'd give the, uh, you know, doing it to a friend, but, you know, especially in tough times, money talks. Um, next question. How
1: much? I mean, if it's 8.5, I could buy that house. I took the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see.
0: Uh, would you rather explore the Great Barrier Reef or the sunken Titanic?
1: Um, oh gosh, that's a really good one, isn't it? You know, the Great Barrier Reef is having some serious problems, too. Um, I guess it's being bleached and all sorts of things. And, you know, the Titanic, if you're talking about how you have to go down there in the little pressurized thing and everything. I'd have a real hard time with that. So I got to go with the barrier reef because I like, I like, I, I feel a little bit more free and I'd be able to see all the beauty and, and you know, just, colors. and catch something before it disappears. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd have to agree with the, the great barrier reef as much as my youngest son would, would yell at me. If I ever had the opportunity to go see the Titanic in person, cause he's absolutely utterly obsessed with the Titanic. Um, I think the beauty, the, the color, I love scuba diving when I've had the opportunities to do it. And there's nothing like the vibrant colors that you can see and, and some really clear water. So I think I agree with the the barrier reef. The next question, and I think this one's kind of funny considering your, uh, your occupations. Which would you rather revive, Pee Wee Herman's or Paulie Shore's acting career?
1: Okay, you're not going to believe this, but it would be definitely, it would be Paul Rubens, who is B. Wee Herman, huge fan. He was the alumni president for CalArts for a long time, and he would have these parties at CalArts, and he, at one year he had chocolate rings that were made, CalArts rings, with little candy um, jewels and everything. And he didn't allow you to take them home. Some people take, snuck them out, and because he wanted you everybody to eat them there. And he would bring cherry, and all his stuff. And one of my top five films, believe it or not, is Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton's first film. <laughs> and so there you go. <laughs> Full circle there. <laughs> and he's a Cal Arts alumni, so.
0: I, I think I agree with that. I, I mean, I grew up with with Pee Wee to an extent. He was, I was. He was just getting big as I was kind of aging out of that that time frame when Pee-wee's, uh Playhouse was out. But uh, you know, I, I liked his movies. I liked his style more. Pauly Shore just always annoyed me. I mean, yeah, this but stuff I, was kind of I, funny, but it just seemed more to I got to
1: tell you, I'm, I'm doing my L.A. name dropper thing. There's, there's a place in Silver Lake. Oh, I can't remember the breakfast place. It's out on the sidewalk, and then there's, like, places inside or – we're outside. It's a vegan place. Of course, my daughter's vegan, and we're having breakfast there. And I hear, dude! And he's like, <laughs> I hear somebody talking on the phone. I'm like, is that, like, the worst poly short? And I look, and he's, like, right up there at his fully poly short in his, like, t- high tops with no socks and his baggy shorts and his Hawaiian shirt. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude. It's like, come on, you know? It's like...
0: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> i I can't say that I did not enjoy his movies because there was a few things that he's done that I kind of thought was that was funny at the time, but looking back, it's just he just was annoying he had he was yeah. like a one trick yep. pony, and that's there's no diversity to him.
1: <laughs>
0: so the last question um have you ever been electrocuted?,
1: well, I've gotten some stingers, yeah. <laughs> not like electrocuted. I've gotten enough where it like almost froze me up and I couldn't get my hand to move back. But like, as I say, doing everything on a set and like being around all electricians and occasionally you get a bad ground and you can actually, and this is what happened to me. You can like put your hand on like a light um, stand and it'll give you, it'll give you a good stinger.
0: Yeah. I, I too have been hit with uh, some current a few times with, at school as I'm, in- going to school to be electrician and, and doing things around the house on my own um, you know, little little tingle there, here and there But uh, <laughs> so uh, again I want to thank you very much for your time um, I will make sure that when I put up the show notes that I put the links to all your places that people can find a masking and I definitely look forward to that um, I definitely encourage anybody who's listening to go watch the trailer it definitely is an uh, interesting concept and I can't wait to see the final product
1: Well, super fun. Thank you. This has been fun. I appreciate it. It's been a good little break here.
0: Glad you had a good time. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.